Coffee Break is back. We've got a new home on Talk Podcast and a new name. It's now Coffee Break with Marcus and James. And that is because I have a permanent co-host. Hello, Mr. James Easton. Good evening, Marcus. I'm back again with a vengeance. You certainly are. We've done pubcasts together twice this year and uh, we decided to make it a more permanent arrangement by reviving Coffee Break. Now, for those of you who were with us in our previous run, which ended about three years ago, Coffee Break... We're similar, but we're different to what we were then. Um, All the heavy stuff, the political stuff, is now moved over to the 20-Minute Topic podcast, which you can hear with me and Greg Lance Watkins every week. The other big change is there's no music, because we're going to end up getting into trouble with copyright laws with all the different platforms we're on these days. So no music, but we more than make up for that with our permanent co-host, James who never stops talking anyway. And so we're going to focus on the light-hearted stuff, the lighter side of life, the fun side of life. There's not enough fun going on in the world at the moment. So let's crack straight on. James, what's on your mind? So, what time of the year is it? Of course it's Christmas time. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's Advent. Advent. Okay. Okay, Marcus, it's Advent. But, you know, we're in a run-up to Christmas now. Everyone's starting to get excited for things that are going to be on Christmas and TV, Christmas toys, Christmas Advent calendars, and what really is going on this year. But are we excited, though? Because I've taken one look at the Christmas TV schedule and I was not impressed. Now, do you know what? I'll be absolutely blunt with you, James. I don't know how people who don't like darts cope over Christmas because that's what's going to keep me going. And the well, other thing that's going to keep me going is box sets. Now, well, the we... saving grace is Gavin and Stacey. Now, that is... Again, I'm Welsh. And I've... People say you've got to be careful what you say about Gavin and Stacey. I find it half funny. I don't think it's one of the all-time classic comedies. See, I'll defend it there because I've 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 loved it for years. I, I loved it when it originally. I think it's been ten years since it uh, stopped. The last Christmas special was ten years ago. I remember I was working in HMV at the time, and it came out on DVD soon after. Um, but yeah, I was. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I heard uh, Matthew Horn, who plays Gavin, interviewed on the radio today on uh, Radio X, and he was um, he was saying he feels it's the best episode they've ever filmed. Like bold statement. We'll wait and see on Christmas Day if that is what we what we all agree with. And you never know; it could end up being a, a, another series in the future. Well, the thing about comedies is knowing when to stop. Now, I think back to 1996, we had the Only Fools and Horses trilogy there, which ended with them becoming millionaires. And there was pressure in the three or four years that followed. Oh, when are they going to bring it back, bring it back, bring it back? The reality was they had the perfect finish there. In the Mm. four years that followed, sadly, Buster Merrifield, who played Uncle, Uncle Albert, died in real life. And then we got to 2000 and then there were three episodes made and they were shown on consecutive Christmas days. I think it was 2000, 2001 and 2002. And sadly, they were not up to the same standard that the program had well and truly run its course. The actors were looking just a little bit older. They'd made the millionaires. Then they made them lose all their money again. And there are other comedies um, that have that have gone on for far too long. I think, OK, I take nothing away from Roy Clark as a comedy writer. He's been entertaining this country for well over 50 years. But Last of the Summer Wine, for me, went on for 10 years too long. Um, this, open, this still open all hours with David Jason that's been revived in the last few years. Yes, it is. There are some very good gentle laughs in there, but it is quite gentle and quaint. I don't mind it, but I wouldn't put it in the classic bracket of the original open all hours. Sometimes, I, I'm not making a judgment on Gavin and Stacey here because I don't know how good or otherwise it's going to be yet. But sometimes, like Faulty Towers, 12 episodes, John Cleese and Connie Booth, who wrote it, said kaput. We stop there. The thing is, you've got to remember, it's been 10 years, 
since it finished. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of left on a clangor. You know, they were sitting on Barry Beach, Barry Island Beach, or whatever, not a Shores Cloud, Barry, Barry Town Beach. Um, they were sitting there having, I think they were having a, some chips mm-hmm. and just sitting there as couples, Nessa and Smithy and Gavin and Stacey. So we'll wait and see. They could make it excellent. It could be a real sort of let's catch up with the families 10 years later. At least they left it a little while. Because then if they've developed the characters in that way, I mean, and that's another thing. I feel that one of the, my favourite of all time comedies, it's more of a recent year, as you know, is The Inbetweeners. Now, mm. uh, they did two movies of that. I thought the second movie, you could tell there was more money behind it and it was just as good. Whether I think they could end that, I do. I think they could end it completely, shut the book closed with a wedding. They could have a stag do. They'd be a little bit older. They've done, they've gone through lives. They might have kids. They might have girlfriends married themselves. They could finalise it with a wedding, a stag do, and that would be the end of the series. Because, again, I think a lot of these comedies are left with an opener or a sort of a cliff cliffhanger at the end where they could open another episode or another series quite easily. And I think that was what was done with Gavin and Stacey. So it will be interesting to see. But apart from that, as you say... What have we got apart from the darts this year? I mean, luckily, um, I, I don't really spend much time in front of TV anymore on Christmas because I don't think there's really much much to do um, or much to watch, really, I'd say. Would you? I think what we've lost in this country is the collective Christmas experience because the most popular, the most watched program on um, Christmas Day nowadays tends to be the Queen's Speech at three o'clock in the afternoon, um, the one Jeremy Corbyn doesn't watch. But um, The one he watches in the morning, doesn't he? He watches it in the morning before everyone else does. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's very strange arrangements in the Corbyn. <laughs> no, well, we're not going to talk about politics, so we'll keep it light entertainment. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> but what you find is that the collective experience is now gone, and I think... Because of the plethora of choices we have with entertainment, we have lost that completely now. Because you think um, the 19th, people who were around in the 1970s, and I was not, they'll mm-hmm. say to you that one of the big highlights of Christmas Day is you'd have your Christmas meal, you'd watch the Queen, you, you'd crash out in front of the sofa. That hasn't changed. That's all going on still. But then in the evening, the whole family sitting around the television at 8 o'clock to watch the Morkman Wise Christmas show, or Mike Yarwood, or the two Ronnies... These were big occasions where you'd have granddad, your parents and you as a child all laughing at the same thing as a family in front of the television. And no matter whether you're 99 or 99, you'd find it hilarious. All that has been lost now. And I think our generation just caught the tail end of it because, okay, I talked about Christmas 1996 a minute ago and the, the Fools and Horses trilogy that was played over the Christmas period. We had one on Christmas Day and I think two more between then and New Year where they ended up millionaires. Um, that I think even now you you couldn't do that because we're all doing our own thing whether we're watching Netflix whether we're watching a DVD whether we're watching any one of 200 channels whether the kids have gone to play on their games consoles while the parents are in a separate room the collective family experience is largely lost because we are all doing our own thing now and there's nothing that brings the nation together it's like when you go to go back to work on the 28th, 29th of December and that period being Christmas and New Year, everyone would say in the office or the building site or wherever it is you work, did you see the Morecambe and Wise Christmas show? Did you see Fools and Horses? Wasn't that bit hilarious? Or we yeah, remember that bit for a long time, won't we? That's all gone now. You won't get that anymore. And I think that is sad. But the thing is, it's just... It, it's just general TV. We've spoken many a times. I think we've even spoken on the old coffee break about things like Noel's House Party, Gladiators, all that lot. And you know what? Um, now, all television, especially on Saturday night, just seems to be dragged out by things like reality TV shows, X Factor, Strictly, all that malarkey. And at the end of the day, it's getting a bit tiring now. I mean, I was flicking through the channels tonight. I don't know if you have at all. Um, 
X Factor the band. I mean, I thought, what now? Like, I thought they stopped X Factor. She only did a celebrity one, but I saw something. There's a four-part special that ends on Sunday, which obviously is in time for the Christmas number one next Sunday, which obviously Cal wants a little bit of a bite of the cake. And uh, he's forming a band now. I mean, when will it stop? When will we get new TV? When will we get decent TV back on the air? It's just so reality TV after reality TV. And frankly, uh, I used to love it, as you know, but I'm so sick and tired like a lot of the nation are now. Um I saw recently MTV are putting on, I think it's uh, called Reality Fest. So whereas you can go and meet all these people from reality TV show programs like Geordie Shaw, X on the Beach, Love Island. I mean, this is what the world's coming to, mate. You know, you're going to go and pay, I think, 25, 30 quid a ticket to stand in line to meet someone that's just like me and you, but has been filmed having sex and TV or getting drunk. It's just getting crazy and ridiculous and frankly pathetic. Yes, I think so, because you think, I, I look at the Barb figures every week, as you know, and I take the, apparently the nation's favourite, BBC One, the only programme on there that seems to be consistently topping 10 million is Strictly Come Dancing. You look mm. down the rest of the schedule, uh, the top 15 each week is released to the public, programmes most watched on every channel. And you get down to like programs 13, 14 and 15, and it tends to be the six o'clock news, which gets six million viewers on a good night, which suggests that the 10 o'clock news is probably getting below four million. But what you find is that the, on an average evening on BBC One, the programming that they have is only watched by maybe three, four, five million people, if that. Now, there are a lot of formulaic dramas padding out the schedules, but there's also programs like Watchdog, which used to be half an hour, is now stretched to an hour. Um, and there were many other examples of that across the schedule. It's not what it once was, and part of it is, I don't want to get into a heavy discussion about the license fee because this isn't the place to do it, but what you're finding is that, that that same pot of money that used to fund BBC One, BBC Two, Radios One, Two, Three, and Four now has to fund so many extra services, including Five Live, S4C, which didn't used to be part of the license fee settlement, numerous digital radio stations, um, the BBC website, the BBC News website, the BBC's 24-hour rolling news service. So that same pot of money has to fund so much more. And there just isn't the money to plough into drama there once was. And the other problem the BBC have got is when it comes to comedy, um, every joke has to go, about, go through about three or four layers of management uh, because of these politically correct times we live in. Now, a few years ago, um, the, the writer of, John's, uh, of Only Fools and Horses, John Sullivan, he's been dead for about four or five years now. His son, Jim, is still very much with us. And they, they, the BBC said, we're going to start repeating Only Fools and Horses on weekday afternoons as an afternoon filler. And they called Jim into uh, the editing suite and they said, we're going to have to edit bits of it out. And he thought, OK, there's a few sexual references you can't put out at two o'clock in the afternoon. But he thought it would be very minor things. And what they actually did is they were cutting bits out of it on the grounds of political correctness that actually ruined the plot of the programme. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one bit of this. Uh, report me to iTunes if you want to, but this is, this, is what, this is an example of a joke that was cut. Rodney says to Del Boy, he thinks he's been hard done by, and he says, that's not fair, Del. And Del responds, neither is Frank Bruno's ass, but you don't hear me going on about it. Now, to me, that's quite funny, but you, apparently you can't say that on TV anymore. It's, it's the modern day, mate. It's the sort of snowflake generation, which is really sad. But hey, that that's what we got to get used to now in this day and age. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, what can we do about it? But moving on back to Christmas, have, uh, have you been opening your advent calendar this year? 
I have not possessed an advent calendar for many, many years. The last time I possessed an advent calendar, I think I'd probably have still been in primary school. And nothing, nothing quite like a bit of synthetic chocolate for breakfast, is there? Oh, mate, you've got to love it. But this year, <laughs> I've got even better. And it won't really appeal to you being a vegetarian, as you are a pescatarian, I should say. Yeah. Um, I've uh, purchased a pork scratching advent calendar. <laughs> a pork... I, I, no, I've, I've read about these. I've read yeah. about these. Go on, you, you, you tell a story. Go on. So every day... Rather than getting a single bit of pork scratch, you get a little mini bag, probably about four or five pieces in. I've had maple maple syrup flavour, salt and pepper flavour, simply salted flavour, salt and vinegar flavour, um, pigs in blankets flavour. And you know what? Well, it might not be the most healthy treat of the year, but to be honest, at Christmas time, who's really watching their health and everything? And, you know, you got watching little bits, but, you know, you have a little indulge and you have a bit of a treat. And you know what? A pork scratching advent calendar is actually such a nice change I actually really enjoyed it. And you know what? For next year, I think it's the new chocolate, mate. It's the way forward. If only they did a fish one for you or something. I recall when I was in primary school. Do you know how many people were in our class? How many? 24. Mm. How many windows are there on an advent calendar? 24. Exactly. Now, we weren't there on Christmas Eve and we weren't there on weekends. So we had to make up those gaps. But... That was one of the. That was a very, very nice coincidence when we were in school. There was enough for one little bit of chocolate each, and it was always somebody's turn. It's something I think back to. But no, I have not possessed an advent calendar for a long, long time. And I have to be honest with you. Whilst um, first of all, Cardiff Council, how bad are your Christmas lights this year? By the way, it's been bad for a long time, but this year's particularly grim. Not as bad as Bromsgrove. Um, Louise, one of our Twitter followers, uh, the Hillsborough Justice campaign at Louise, she tweeted something from where she lives in Bromsgrove. Their effort this year it is the worst Christmas tree I have ever seen in my life. Bromsgrove, guys. This is the most sad-looking thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the thing is, is there's just no money left in local councils to put any decent on. You know, I, I think I've seen campaigns before. Like if every household put a fiver in or something like that to decorate your village or your town they'd get some fantastic lights but a lot of people won't want to do that but i mean i i certainly would consider it if my local village where i live said knocked on a door or they put a note out and said look if every one of you donated a fiver to our christmas fund per household it's not okay some people you know you can't really expect them to do that but you know a lot of people would contribute and i'm sure a lot of people would and you could do that i think you could get some really really nice towns and decorations all up again well, what you find in Whitchurch Village in the north of Cardiff, near where I used to live, is that the local shopkeepers all contribute to um, the, 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 the lights in, in Whitchurch Village itself. And what I've found when I've been through there in recent years as a visitor is that their lights in that little high street are better than some of the ones in the main streets in the centre of Cardiff. And that is extraordinary, but it's true. But I, I seem to recall there was a local council. It may have been Newcastle, or I may have been mistaken on this, they mm -hmm. said when the so-called austerity began to bite about 10 years ago that they were looking for new ways to pay for Christmas lights and things like that. And one of them was, I think they came up with an idea, um, get, if, you, if you pay for the, the Christmas decorations on the Tyne Bridge, the, the famous iconic Tyne Bridge, your company's logo will be up in lights. So, for example, if Coca-Cola pay for it, all the Christmas lights, the Tyne Bridge over the Christmas period will have Coca-Cola in adverts. Now, mm -hmm. basic things like that. Put, put up a similar advert on Cardiff Castle or whatever that the iconic thing is in in your town or city that you know the that the pierhead building on the Mersey or whatever this is ways around it the councils can put on decent Christmas lights without affecting the taxpayer 
but thinking of new ways of doing things because we are going to have to accept that councils are going to do a lot less for us in the future. I don't want to get on into a big heavy thing now, but the reality is the amount of public toilets that have closed in recent years, um, the, the, the streets aren't cleaned as often. Uh, you used to get those road sweeper machines. You hardly ever see them now. Councils are doing a lot less for us. Well, you say about public toilets, mate. Like, it was quite sad. And uh, you know where I live in the main town, Worthing. And uh, they, a couple of years ago, they they decorated uh, one of the women's toilets on the beach next to the pier. They put flowers in there. They put some bunting up. Made it really nice. This wasn't just at Christmas. In the summer, within I think six hours of it being up, it was all nicked and destroyed and vandalized. I mean, how sad is that? But that's a sign of the times, isn't it? I think back to the first street I lived in. Um, there was an old boy who lived about three or four doors down, and he, he died around about the time I was born, I believe, uh, possibly a year or so earlier, perhaps. And what he did is he left a lot of money in his will for um, hanging baskets to be hung from the, um, from the lampposts along that street. And it was a lovely, lovely sight. And I can clearly remember when I was a toddler, and this went on for years and years, um, a fellow would come round at tea time, and he, he'd have a long hose thing, and he would water the hanging baskets. That nowadays, with the way society has gone in the years since, they've been wrecked uh-huh. in no time. It's it's similar it's really thing. With- like, when I've been on holiday in America, and you see a lot of these places where um, they're completely, you know, the streets are beautiful. They've got palm trees. They've got lovely flowers. And you, and you often think, if this was the UK, they'd be all vandalised and wrecked by now. Well, yeah, it, it goes beyond that though. It's like morning milk deliveries. They would uh-huh. get smashed and everything else nowadays. It's just it's just a sad indictment of the sort of country Britain has become. Well, it's funny you say that. I saw on Facebook, uh, I think it was yesterday, a, a local page. Um, they still obviously do milk deliveries through that Milk and More service. Mm. Um, all the Monday morning, I think it was this morning actually, all the Monday morning milk from one street, it all been nicked. I mean, how pathetic is that? Yeah, but that—that that is the sort of society we become. You know, I know we've talked about this in other podcasts in the past. But the culture you used to have in the Welsh valleys of everyone's door was open. You could knock on people's doors, and children would say hello, and everyone would know the local children. You've gone from that to the sort of society we got now of everything gets smashed, everything gets broken. You put put up some nice plants. It's only a matter of time before it gets wrecked by local yobs. It's we're not the country we once were where we had respect for our neighbours and for our surroundings. And we're seeing more and more signs of this, I'm afraid. So, Marcus, let me ask you, have you been a good boy this year or are you going to be getting coal underneath your tree? Coal underneath my tree? Oh, good grief. There is a question. Have I been good? It depends how one defines good. Have I done a lot of good? Well, have you been naughty or have you been nice? Define naughty. Oh, mate, I think that's too X-rated for this uh, podcast. Define how you think I may have been naughty. Oh, I don't know. You know, you could uh, you, you could be in a certain uh, Twitter competition for some part of a uh, <laughs> part of the country. I don't know. Maybe something like that. Well, Twitter's a strange one because Twitter is a left wing mob in essence. And there was a, and even Piers Morgan talked about this on Good Morning Britain not not so long ago. It is a liberal lefty mob. Twitter. Um, uh, but it, got, it bears very little resemblance to how people live their lives. 70% of people are not on Twitter at all. Of no. the 30% that do have Twitter accounts, only about 10% of those check them regularly. Of those that check them regularly, a lot of them are really interested in sports teams and actors and so forth they like. The actual number of people that are politically engaged with Twitter 
is actually very low indeed, and it is not proportionate. Look, if you believe what you were seeing on Twitter over the course of what we've said, I'm not going into politics now, but if you believe what you've seen on Twitter over the course of this election campaign, you think Labour was going to win with a 300-seat majority. Now, that is not going to happen, but if Twitter was an accurate barometer, that's where you'd end up. Okay, but going back to have you been a naughty or nice boy, um, remember, let me show you some of these. uh, I've got a website in front of me, and I'll see if you remember some of these toys that would have been big when we were younger. I'm 31, and you are? 36. 36. So there we go. We've got, uh, we've got, we were, you were late 80s. I was early 90s for my childhood. I was born in 88. You were late 80s, early 90s for your childhood. So let me say, do you remember Pogs? I remember the name. Go on. I want you to tell me what they are. Go the on. Pogs were those ones. They were little round discs, and you had a little thick plastic thing. You used to slam them, and people would swap them at schools and everything. They were Pogs, them? weren't they? Yeah, that, that's why I just said Pogs. I thought you said Hogs. No, Pogs. With a P, yeah. Pog, 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 oh, pogs. oh, yeah, I remember Pogs. Yeah, of course I do, yeah. And um, they had a similar thing called Tazos, which are in uh, crisp packets. Do you remember them? Yes, I do. Yeah, I remember Tazos very well. They used to come in your quavers and stuff, didn't they? So in front of me now, Tamagotchi. Oh, very well. I had one of those Christmas 19... It would have been either Christmas 96 or Christmas 97, yeah, I think. I remember them. I, I mean, I, funny enough, I see that I was in Primark in Manchester a couple of weeks ago. They're selling them on their little stocking filler section again and you think they used to be quite expensive you know a good 20 or 30 quid and they were literally like less than a fiver in primark you mean they'd probably cost pence to make but what fun that was and if you remember like you know teachers taking them off you at school and i remember like um you know when they died the the animal died you were absolutely devastated yeah but they always came back to life though you just have to start again from the beginning oh yeah but it'd be good wouldn't it because you'd last it for a while and then they kind of moved on to furbies do you remember furbies i do never had a furby no, they scared me. My sister had one. It was kind of quite eerie, wasn't it? It kind of talked to you and everything. It was quite... Uh, that, yeah, quite yeah. but Tam- Tamagot, you'd have to remember to feed it several times a day. You, yeah. could, you could play with it and it'd get bigger and bigger and then it would die and then you'd start again. And in the end, the battery just ran out. And, then, and, it, and it was, wasn't it? And then Beanie Babies. Uh, yeah, I was a bit old for that. Yeah, it was, it's more of a thing, but do you know, I always remember McDonald's doing that big, uh, they did a big campaign with Happy Meals, and you remember people would fight over getting them in the shops, and they, they'd try and and they, they probably would be worth quite a bit of money now, because a lot of people would be like, you know, collectibles and everything like that, so, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I remember my sister, she bought, I think there was a year 2000 one that she's probably still got somewhere that apparently was worth a bit of money, Like so she dug them all out, she'd probably make a bit of a bit of wonga from them. But, you know, I just look at it now and I think, you know, these are all things that did our imagination. I mean, you know from seeing on my probably social media today, on my Facebook, my Instagram, I've completed the Hogwarts castle by Lego that, you know, I'm I'm into a lot of Lego now, but I, I do the big sets. I built the Disney castle. I built that. I do a lot of the adult car ones. And, you know, that's still, you know, that I, I go as far as to say that I can sit there with Lego for hours on end. I have, don't have my phone on me. It's completely out of the way. I sit there in my own little world doing this Lego. And you know what? It's such a de-stressing tool. I feel so chilled out after it. It's fascinating. It's really amazing. And you know what? I miss seeing kids playing with Lego. I mean, I was disappointed to see on TV today there was a program talking about the latest Christmas toys. And they had Lego. Fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. But now they're trying to bring the phones into it. So something that you put in, you download an app, you take a picture of it, and then it turns into a video game. Now... As a kid, that is probably quite cool, especially a kid of this generation. But to me, it's just sad because the whole point of Lego, you'd play with that toy rather than have to turn it into a computer game. 
I know you're a man of sophistication and therefore you will listen to Talk Sport Extra Time with Paul Ross, uh, my colleague Paul Ross, because I appear on there twice a week myself. Paul is rediscovering Lego at the moment through his grandchildren and he's rediscovering a, a lesson he learned 30 odd years ago with his own children. He's relearning it now and that lesson is make sure when they finish playing with their Lego that you pick up all the bits because he made the mistake recently of walking in a room without the light on with Lego on the floor. Okay. That well, is as you, painful. As you know, I don't have kids, but I do have cats. And you leave two cats in a room with a Lego set. Cats are quite inquisitive. Cats like to chew things. The amount of times I've found bits of my Lego on the floor chewed, hmm, yeah, that's my hazard. <laughs> there, there, there are three things that men should fear when they're walking in, 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 doing things in the dark. One thing you should never do in the dark, just be aware of plugs on the floor, three pin plugs, because stepping on one of those can be painful. The second is Lego, as I just explained. And the third is, if you're wearing a pair of jeans and you're using the toilet without wishing to be too delicate, getting your fly caught against part of your genitalia is very okay. painful. Okay, Marcus. Yes, we, we, we all know what that's like. And uh, I don't think we need to go into detail. No, but it's bad, isn't it? So so we've talked about these Christmas toys. And uh, you're, you're, you might have a lump of coal, you might not, but... What will you be eating for your Christmas dinner this year? I'm tempted, because I'm not going anywhere this year. Um, I'm tempted. Uh, someone pointed this out to me earlier. Marks and Spencers do um, a, a pre-prepared Christmas dinners for all tastes. So you can have the traditional one with um, with turkey. And I'm a pescatarian like Susanna Reid, but she's not coming round. Bet you wish she was. Uh, well, she's ditched the, um, the Crystal Palace fella now, hasn't she? Scam! <laughs> yeah, so you can have the pescatarian one. Or you can have the full-on vegan one. So I'll probably get the pescatarian one. And, and you, well, is, that, is that a salmon fillet or something like that? I don't know. I'm about to find out. Um, and, you know, I can just whack that in the old halogen oven and, and take it from there. Um, but it's, it's a strange one because I think, okay, I'm a lifelong pescatarian. This isn't some fad. I've always been like this. But Christmas Day has always been a bit of a, a strange one because I, I always end up with one or two things. Either a piece of fish with everything else the the the, the roast potatoes uh, and the sprouts and, and everything else and the parsnips and what have you or it's a nut roast of some sort and i don't know what i'm going to be getting this year because i'm buying it myself and i'm cooking it myself so well, i'm just looking on a website right now and i seem to remember there's a program on at the moment on bbc about sainsbury's behind the scenes and i remember they were trying to get into the top vegan or vegetarian christmas dinners hmm. um the first, number one is by a company called Cook. Have you seen them? They're quite high value, high market. They're appealing to sort of the more higher end things. Uh, it's a Portobello Mushroom Wellington. It's scored 82 out of 100. Hmm. But the joint winner, which is more easily accessible for yourself, is Tesco, which is finest butternut squash ch mushroom chestnut reef. Um, scored 82 out of 100 as well. Then you've got um, Oldies spinach leek and cheddar lattices with flax seeds. Um, Cavallo Nero Mascarpone parcels from Waitrose Asda Festive Vegan Wellington so it's £3 for 500 grams M&S here's the first M&S one it's Plant Kitchen Root Vegetable Tart Tatan I mean to be honest that's something I would have to be fair it's got baby beetroot red onion chardonnay carrots and rosemary shortcrust pastry on a pie um, Lidl caramelised onion and goat's cheese tartlet Morrison's the best layered vegetable tart and then number 10 curried cauliflower and kale tartlet from Lidl 
So to be honest, a lot of those options, right, I wouldn't have them replacing my turkey on Christmas Day, but those, um, a lot of those veggie options look very nice. And I'm, I mean, I'm going to have to do my research because I've been sent to Marks and Spencers, but I'm going to have to do my research on this based on what you've just said. And what but, we can do is we can then in the new year when we do our next uh, talk, uh, sorry, talk podcast uh, coffee break, we can... Uh, discuss what you ended up going for yeah yeah we'll we'll certainly do that but let's explore the christmas dinner a little bit more now tell me hand on heart as a meat eater that you are Mm -hmm. is turkey nice meat because people tell me it's very dry the thing is is the lucky thing about me is you know my old man quite well he's worked in the catering industry since he's been a teenager so he's worked in restaurants he's worked in some fine fine english restaurants he used to work in one called simpsons in the strand and one Christmas, uh, my dad was interviewed by numerous, obviously a slow news day, and I'm not saying that as an insult, but it clearly was because he had news outlets from all over the world, contact from Canada, I think even France, possibly even somewhere in the east, I think Hong Kong even, and they were discussing how to carve a turkey. Mm. Now, I've been lucky enough that every Christmas we've had with my, around my parents' house, the turkey has been unreal. He cooks it, and I don't know how he does it. He's going to have to, have to tell me for future, pass down his recipe, but the turkey is always so moist. But one is, as you say, though, turkey is one of those things that can be ruined so quickly and so easily. And, you know, I, I don't know how because I've never... I actually saying that I cooked a turkey this year and it wasn't moist or dry at all, which I was happy about. But that wasn't... That was just... We got a reduced turkey on boxing day in sainsbury's they reduced all the turkeys quite a good day to go shopping actually to fill the freezer and we got one we had it a couple of months into the year and i roasted it it was actually really good but i can't comment on how to cook the perfect turkey but i've been lucky enough to say i would say my dad's turkey that he does at christmas is near on damn it a perfect turkey all right now i'm going to bring something on to which we can both pass comment on but i want you to go first on this brussels sprouts you go first and i've got something to say on this which is quite important but you go first absolutely bloody love them good i'm glad because i feel the same way and i think there's a big thing about brussels sprouts people who don't like them i think they're making a key mistake do you know what that is what's that they're boiling them for too long they lose their bite (laughs) or not adding bacon to them or something like that no No, i don't add bacon to them no it's true you can't well can you but no i completely agree yeah they, they you've got to have a slight bite to them they've got to be soft enough also have a bite to them you've got to have that perfect level um, my dad often always chucks chestnuts in with them, which I think add to a really good flavour. Obviously, he doesn't boil the chestnuts, but he cooks them into, leaves them to sort of go in and after and puts them over, and it's really, really good. I love sprouts. It, I don't know why it's such a loving and hated thing, because to me, it just tastes like a sort of cabbagey type. I vegetable. know exactly what it is, James. I know exactly what it is, and that's that people are cooking them for far too long. They're too, too long in boiling water. They lose their bite. They're soggy and horrible. You've got to have a little bit of bite, what they call in Italy, a little bit al dente. That's what you need with your sprouts. So that's that, uh, and um, properly cooked roast potatoes. You can't beat that. Yeah, bloody lovely. Yeah, you love it. You can have a good old roast potatoes, mate. They're absolutely delicious. You've got, and, uh, and then, and then afterwards. Now, yes, another divisive one: Christmas pudding. What's the tradition in your household? How do you do your Christmas pudding? No, thank you. No, thank you. You don't do it, do you? Uh, well, my my old man does it. I mean, remember as a kid, he, he put like his pound coins in it. And as a kid, we found it amazing because we didn't realise it was him doing it. But he said it on like a brandy. To be honest, no one in the house really likes it. No one really does. Even Vicky, who, my wife, who's an absolute queen for dessert. She loves the dessert. She doesn't even like it. 
No, um, we, we, the old we man, I think it. the old man likes it, but he's the only one that likes it. We we do it, but we only eat it once a year, and I can't imagine wanting to eat it more than once a yeah. year. Yeah, well, we, what we've been doing over the last few years is we've been looking at um, we've we've got a dessert from Aldi or Lidl, and it, you know, normally one of the funky ones, normally a sort of funky chocolate log or something, you know, mm. just something nice like that because it's you know, I, it's a shame really because you'd think I would like mince pies, but I just can't, I just can't enjoy them. I've only got into mince pies quite recently because um, for years, don't ask me where I got this, I actually thought they had meat in them. I don't know where I got that from. Well, they used to. Yeah, historically they did, but of course now they're the fruit ones. And what I've found in in quite a few years now is that um, the one that comes top of the survey is Iceland, where you can buy, it it was six for a pound, and um, I'm guessing it may well still be, or a little bit more expensive nowadays perhaps. And to be fair, I have enjoyed them. Uh, they are very good quality mince pies. Um, it's, it's those things, though. I, I do it to my family because they know the score with me. If I say something's good and I've done my research and so forth, they, they go with it. But I can imagine in some households when I, I, you know, I'm doing the small presents on Christmas Day and we're passing it round and so forth, and they open it up, they've got a, a small packet of mince pies, and it says Iceland at the top. Some people, it, the snob factor would put them off. It doesn't put off my family because we know better than that. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with Iceland's mince pies. I mean, I think I've heard that apparently Aldi's mince pies are some of the best you can get, which doesn't surprise me, which doesn't surprise me. A lot of Aldi stuff is actually very good indeed. I, I can't fault the place. Some of their produce is a little bit hit and miss, but for many, many things there, you know, yogurts, desserts, um, the, 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 the chilled pizzas are particularly good. Um, the, the, the French fries they do are the best of any supermarket, in my opinion. Uh, in general, I think Aldi is a very good shop. I'm not that near to a Lidl. Um, I know Lidl is good for um, the bakery section in the more modern Lidls. But I, I think people, guys, lose the snob factor. You will save a fortune, and you're actually not compromising on quality. Um, there, there's, also, there's a wine I like in Aldi, which only costs a few pounds, although it'll get a bit more expensive next year when the 50p minimum pricing comes in in Wales for alcohol sales. Uh, Baron Saint-Jean. Saint Jean, if you're a peasant, but Saint Jean, I think you're supposed to pronounce it. Lovely drop of red, that is. Lovely drop of red. Now, I didn't know you were a fan of red wine. I've, you, I've never heard you even mention it. I thought you were just a beer lover. I, I drink, well, beer predominantly, um, good quality lager I'll drink from time to time. And, and red wine, as an occasional treat, I don't drink it every night. I don't, at night, I don't open a bottle at night or anything. But if I'm having a nice meal, I'll have a glass of red. That's the quarter Italian in me, I think. Oh, mate, I, I I found my love for red wine this year. I really have. Red wine this year has really come into my loving. And the thing is that annoys me about red wine, where it's different from white, I could not polish off a bottle of white, but Christ, I could polish off a bottle of red just like that. It's too easy. I, I can do, which is why I don't buy it very often. I know if I open the bottle, it'll be gone in no time. White, I find, gives me a headache. I'm, yeah. not, good, I'm not good at white wine. Um, but they say, you know... Red wine has health benefits. It's good for the heart, a little glass in moderation. That's what they say. Yeah, well, well, Mike, I said we mentioned my grandmother, my dear old grandmother, a minute ago. She would have a small glass of red wine every evening. A, a, a bottle would last her several days. And, hey, she lived to just short of her 92nd birthday. So you're doing something right, aren't you? It must be. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm lucky and I get to travel well you know and I, I go to South Africa a lot and I get some very nice bottles of red in South Africa for very very cheap which is absolutely fantastic in my eyes because I there's one of my favorite ones is one called the chocolate block which is I think it retails on average for about 25 pounds a bottle in um, in the UK <coughs> I think in South Africa it's about seven or eight quid 
Mm, yeah, you, you've got to know what you're doing when you're doing that, but there, there's some, certainly some very, very good offers out there. There's a fantastic app called Vivino, if you've ever heard of it before, mm. and you scan the bottle of wine, it tells you the average price, it tells you about it, and it's actually a really good way of discovering wine. Mm. Mm, but I, I'll look at I'll look that up. That's a new one on me. But if you want, uh, if you want a basic bottle of wine that's red and, and it's a, a decent for what it is, Baron Saint Jean from Aldi. I I do recommend it. I have to try. Drink. I have to try that next time I'm in Aldi. I have to pick one up and see what it's like. It's a nice drink. That you know, just have a little glass of that. It won't do you any well, harm at all. We're going on our annual little booze cruise next week to France, as we not always do at Christmas. We can't go overnight, which is sad. But we'll um, we'll be going. Um... Right. So how does this work? I I know what you're about to say, but for benefit of our our listeners, how does that actually work for you? What do you mean? Sorry. Well, what what do you do when you say booze cruises? Was it oh, um, a P&O ferry or what? Living, yeah, living in the south of England. Normally we go overnight, but this year just with work schedules, we can't actually do it. But we're going to um, uh, Calais on one day trip, there and back trip. Go get the ferry at eight forty-five in the morning. Get one back at eight thirty at night. So yeah, two hours. Go for a nice lunch. My parents are coming with us. Go to the supermarket. Get some nice food. Like some nice cheeses for Christmas. Some nice cured meats, and some, pick up some wine. That despite the fact it's not duty free anymore, like it was in the old days. Bottles of wine in France are dirt cheap. You can get some really nice ones there because mm. um, they're not taxed as much as they are over here. So. Mm. You know, it's, it's really, really nice. And uh, it's just a nice little day out. It's not expensive. A return on the ferry is twenty seven fifty, which is absolute bargain for a day trip. Because the thing that makes me laugh is where I live, I live in Worthing. Um, near us is the Isle of Wight. It costs more to go to the Isle of Wight than it does to go to France for a day. Ha- work that one out. Well, the Isle of Wight, that, that little journey there from from, uh, from the south coast to the, uh, the Isle of Wight, they still use hovercrafts, don't they? Yeah, they've still got a hovercraft there. But, I mean, I think an average uh, to go to the Isle of Wight is... You know what? I'm going to look it up in a minute. But Did, did you yeah. ever tell me... This is where being a little bit older than you might play to my advantage. Did you ever go to France on a hovercraft? Because I, I have. I did. Yeah. yeah, and I always remember because I had a toy. It was a toy hovercraft that my mum and dad got me. It used to go around in the bath. And I had little- one. And I think it was like they must have sold them on the ship. They did. They did. I had one as well. I, I can picture it now, actually. And it was brilliant. battery operated, wasn't it? I remember it well. Yeah, um, absolutely brilliant. So, I, I, yeah, I, I've been on hovercrafts a number of times. I also went on um, its immediate successor, which was called Seacat. Um, and that, that was that was a faster version. But hovercrafts, because you were effectively on a cushion of air, if you had a, I did it a number of times, actually, Dover to Calais. If you And I also did Folkestone to Calais. I think that was on a Seacat. Um, if you were on one of those and you had a rough crossing, you certainly knew about it. Yeah, well, I was talking to a, a pilot at work. Obviously, I work on the planes, and apparently it's actually classed as an aircraft, the hovercraft. They were actually classed as an aircraft because they did slightly take off, so it was CAA regulated. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't yeah. know if you know that. But, yeah, I was on a SeaCat one time on the old Boulogne to Calais, uh, Boulogne, Boulogne to Dover, Boulogne to Folkestone, I think it was, route. Hmm. And I always remember people were throwing up everywhere. It was one of the worst crosses. I don't know how I never threw up and um it kind of always put me off sailing on a ship um until recently when i went on a cruise ship on holiday which was uh amazing and it's one of those things that i'd say to anyone that's ever considered it do it because you will have fun yeah i've never done a cruise my mother has my uncle has i've never done a cruise so that's that but you you were full of stories about it when i last saw you so it's, oh yeah it, it's, good food good drink you know absolutely absolutely lovely it was it was just such a nice time the entertainment was quality i'd say for uh for a uh, um one for a single person traveling on your own you'd actually quite enjoy it i think many opportunities to pull 
well, I wasn't really looking. <laughs> I know you would, but you say uh, single I, person I, on his I, own. I, Come on. At the end of the day, I think uh, it was kind of one of those one of those situations where there are single travellers. They often have single traveller meet, so that you might have got a chance. Who knows, mate? But so, yeah, I was just looking on here. A return to the Isle of Wight is just short of 60 quid. I mean, I'm going to France for half that price for the day. It's crazy, isn't it? Well, that is good going, actually. That's very good indeed. But what that's, a regular, that's a standard rate, honestly. I've, and who's that with? That's P&O, but often we use our club card points and uh, get a, a crossing with Eurotunnel, um, so all of them, which is quality. Oh, yeah, I've done um, in the very early days when a channel, because it was the channel tunnel that really killed off Hovercraft and Seacat, but um, the channel yeah. tunnel in the very early days, I did, um, where's it now, London, uh, London, St. Pancras to, um, to, to Paris, I've done that journey. I've also done, um, on a school trip once, I've done the, um, the Le Shuttle journey where our coach went in that way you know when you want to take your cars or your coaches over i've done that as well and i always remember um i don't know if this is still going but if you're on the shuttle when you're actually underneath the uh un- underneath the channel you-, you obviously you're allowed to get out of your vehicles and stretch your legs and so forth radio the shuttle is that still going no i'm i'm not sure yeah I'm there, re- there was a radio that. station called radio the shuttle it was basically just an advertising loop, wasn't it? It was pretty much. Yeah, it's like it's like what? Okay, we've just seen uh, this weekend the demise of Virgin Trains. Now, I've uh, I travelled on Virgin you know, Trains Vance, over the years, Vance, and is it Avanti? I think it's yeah, called. Avanti have taken over. But what you used to get is you'd put your headphones in and you'd have one of two channels you could listen to on a Virgin Train, and uh, one of them was always um, Ken Bruce from Radio Two doing a pre-recorded show. Uh, just mixing up music and just his various thoughts and so forth. Uh, that that was one of the services they had. But um, yeah, the, so you're you're then uh, you're you're doing your day trip to Calais. But tell us a little bit about what is what is a Christmas like. I know your things are a bit different for you this year, but what what is a Christmas like in the Eastern household? Turkey, food, drink, family time. Really, <laughs> that's it. Hmm. Yeah. So there, there, there any, any standout traditions, any games you play, anything particularly? Oh, we just uh, have we just occasionally get the board games out, which is quite fun um which is nice so uh, you know we just have a nice nice family time hmm. yeah it's, it's it's good it's good to just shut the world out for a day isn't it and just be around around people and yeah no no, no commercialization even though i just we said we said earlier on that we have lost the collective experience so far yeah. as tv viewing goes in this country um but yeah i think christmas is a great tradition it's something to be enjoyed and something to be celebrated but no. what are you up to this year I'll be lying on the beach in the Bahamas, so uh, for work. It's a tough job I do, but, you know, someone's got to do it. Melikimikimaka is the thing to say on a bright Bahamas Christmas day. All right, I changed one of the words there. But yeah, that, that's what uh, Vicky was singing to me a few weeks ago. <laughs> hey, but, yeah, we're going to have a good Christmas, mate. I hope you do too, and um, I look forward to doing more of these uh, uh, podcasts in the new year as a relaunch coffee break goes with uh marcus and james um it'll be good i hope you've enjoyed this format who've been listening yes yeah, uh, let, yeah. let us know let us know uh at marcus stead on twitter hmm. at mr underscore worldwide underscore 88 on twitter if you want anything covered for the next episode which we'll probably do in the first week or two of january and um i wish you a very safe happy merry christmas and a very bright decade uh, for 2020 and hopefully on new year's day Worthing beat the bogner yeah 
Yeah, James is a big uh, non-league football fan and he's a big Worthing fan and they're not doing too badly at the moment. So it's a Merry Christmas from James. As for me, you're going to be hearing a lot more of me between now and Christmas on the uh, on the political side of things. 20-minute topic will be back this coming Sunday and probably the Sunday after that. In fact, almost certainly the Sunday after that with all that's going on with the election. But my thanks to James. It is great to be back with Coffee Break. Send us your light and frivolous subjects you want covered. Nothing too heavy. It's been great fun. And I'll catch you on 20 Minute Topic. But for now, from me and from James, it's goodbye.